0: Bert Buta is a, well, I should say was a product designer. I'm sure he'll be a product designer again. But right now, he's a bit of a nomad traveling around on his Africa twin motorcycle. In Bert's family, though, he's not the black sheep. He, he's not the odd one out. In fact, it was his parents that introduced him to the idea of exploring the world through travel beyond a vacation. And even Bert's own grandparents, they're in their 90s and they're still traveling around Europe in a camper van. And what they told Bert was, get out and travel, experience things in the world while you still can, before life gets you pinned down with responsibilities. And that's just what Bert's been doing. Out there, riding his motorcycle, traveling alone, he prefers it that way, experiencing uh, cultures and landscapes, meeting people. Even some smuggling thrown in for his own entertainment, and that's in a country that's known for some of the harshest punishments in the world. Bert, what were you thinking? That story coming up. His original plan was to ride for nine months, then go back to his girlfriend, but that was in 2019. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Ted Simon Manicott. Simon. Austin Vance. Simon Pavey. Bill Pedos. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy, Jimmy Lewis. Sean Thomas. And this is Adventure Rider Radio. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American made heavy duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that Adventure Riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear, greenchiliadv.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Tech filters, cyclepump.com.
1: My name is Bert Butte and I'm from Belgium and um, originally I'm a product designer, but now I kind of started traveling for um, yeah, an uncertain amount of time.
0: Bert, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio.
1: Thank you. It's really nice to be here. It's, it's, it's amazing to listen to them on the, on the trip. Uh, so yeah, it's really nice to, uh, to be now on the post- podcast itself.
0: When you're riding along and you're listening to other people talk about their trips and you, you're and you're actually on a trip, does that change the way you look at your trip at all?
1: Um, yeah, actually, it does definitely. Um, I, I started listening to the podcast when they didn't even were on Spotify and it, it was like more an inspiration. And then uh, when I started my trip itself, I was listening to all the rider skills to like stories of people, they're like, oh yeah, I, I'm gonna plan that trip also. Now I'm listening to to stories of people from South America or the like the future part of my trip. So definitely, it, it's 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 an inspiration,
0: yeah. Yeah, oh, that's that's really neat. Hey, you said um, you you traveled when you were young. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, so um, my parents did did a big uh, trip through Asia when they were um, like for eight months, maybe thirty years ago. And then they kind of took us, uh, like my sister and I, through Europe, through to Morocco, Nepal. Um, but that's about fifteen years ago, I reckon. And um, yeah, I, uh, I I guess they gave it a bit uh, from from that de- from their uh, spirit to mine. Um, and my, even my grandparents, they they're ninety something now, ninety four, I reckon. And um, they are still traveling through Europe with with their camper van. Yeah,
0: is that right? Wow! So it's a real family uh, of travelers.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's actually pretty cool. Um, yeah, I'm pr- quite uh, quite happy that um, they gave me that um, that way of lifestyle, or or I mean the, the the trigger to to start exploring, and also that they say like, yeah. It, Go and explore the world, and don't don't be afraid to to stay there and to to see everything. Because before you know, it's it's way more difficult to do it as soon as you have a house or children or or um, commitments. Yeah.
0: Wow, that's that's real wisdom for sure. There's just no doubt about that. When your parents took you on that original trip or those original trips, was it backpacking style or, or RV or what was it?
1: Uh, we started, we had like a little van, uh, like a Volkswagen um, van, like a, uh, com- how do you call it? Um, so we had a converted van and we traveled a bit camper through van. Europe. Yes, that's right, a camper van. Uh, but then the the bigger trips to Morocco were actually just backpacking and, and going back from kind of a budget hotel to a bit of hiking, a bit of this, a bit of that. And in Nepal, that was the same um, so never really luxury, luxury hotels or, um, resorts. That was not really our, our cup
0: of tea. Mm, I see. So it was a real travel experience. We're not, not like a vacation where you go and sit on a beach at a resort or something like that. What, what was the focus of it? Was it, was it, um, experiences, was it landscape? Was it, was it culture? What were they, what were they looking for?
1: Yeah, I think the, 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 the idea behind my parents to, to put us on those trips was actually to. Indeed, to explore the world in its true nature and, and uh, the real uh, culture and uh, not necessarily go to, to a fancy resort in Morocco and then eat your favorite Western food there. Mm. Uh, no, they really forced us to like, try the local cuisine. And I think that's all part of the experience. Yeah.
0: yeah, there's nothing wrong with that either, is there? I mean, to go to a resort and sit back, it's a different experience. You're after something different. When you go for a vacation and you want to sit back on a beach, that's great. That That's what you do. But the idea of travel for a lot of people, and I think for you, is, is different from that. It's, it's a totally different experience.
1: Yeah, I, I think... A holiday is more like an escape from maybe your work or a stressful situation back home. And indeed, some people just want to have five days or a week of just doing nothing and enjoying a nice cocktail at the beach or mm-hmm. or the swimming pool. But for I I kind of prefer the way of like a travel and exploration and the adventure and the unknown. And I think for me that's 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 the biggest appeal of of going abroad. Yeah.
0: You went to to school, you trained for um, product design, is that what it was?
1: Yeah, I'm a product designer or industrial engineer in product design. And basically that can go from designing um, uh, uh, a fancy chair to designing motorbike equipment or like what I was doing, medical devices for uh, breast cancer treatment.
0: Right, wow, that's really interesting. How long did you do that for?
1: Um... That was uh, four years of, at university, and then the PhD of um, uh, five years. Yeah.
0: And after you were done that, what did you do?
1: Um, my my a good friend of mine at uni. He started. He traveled the world uh, on on, uh, on a Honda Transalp, same bike as mine. And I got inspired through him, and uh, I bought a bike, my first bike, and decided to go around the world with
0: it. Yeah. What happened to the career though? I mean, you, you put a lot into that. You've got a PhD. I mean, you've, you've done a lot of studying, a lot of erudition to your, your craft and now you're out traveling.
1: Yeah. Um, well, the the thing is I graduated as it, so it's kind of a closed chapter. Um, and I, I think, Oh, I'm actually pretty sure I will definitely go, go back into the, the design world and, and, um, uh, the field of, making new products and trying to improve products. Um, But for now, I'm kind of a little bit on the hold and I want to see the world first. And um, yeah, after that, I I guess I I can truly know where I want to settle down and maybe try to uh, contact some companies. And who knows, maybe I'm going to work in America, maybe.
0: So you're you're thinking as you go along, if you see something, some place that really clicks with you, you'll, you'll stay with that.
1: Yeah, that, that, could be, that could be definitely an option. Uh, for example, there's a lot of outdoor companies in Canada uh, which have uh, quite interesting R&D. Um, like I'm thinking about Arc T-Rex uh, or those other brands. Mm-hmm. Um, so imagine if, if, you, if you work a couple of years for them, uh, that would be a quite nice experience, I think.
0: Mm, yeah, great gear. They, they make great gear. Yeah. What, yeah. What, what, other than that, what are you looking for on the trip? What are you after? Uh, that is a very good question.
1: Um, in the beginning, I kind of maybe thought, oh, it's an escape from reality. Hmm. Um, but then actually I'm, I'm thinking, oh, this is maybe to find reality and to really start appreciating what how the world works. And um, so now I've been in Australia during COVID and I, I had I did a bit of work to save up some money. And then after that, you appreciate again the travel. So you also start to understand what the complications in the world are. So I guess it's yeah, just to get a better understanding of my life and also how the world works.
0: So how do you do that when you're traveling? You come into a country like, say, Australia. How do you do that? You mean how how do I like give purpose to my trip? Or well, no. How do you like? you Because you're saying you're, you you want to see how the world works. I mean, do you do you sort of seek things out and say, well, okay, so what's the gross domestic product here? And maybe go talk to people who are in business or or something like that. Or is it just sort of a go and travel and observe?
1: No, yeah, that's actually interesting. So um here, for example, I I did a job as a as a mechanic on a farm, and I did some machine operating during the harvest and. Just to see, give a completely different, uh, have a completely different experience, and then to see what we're capable of, and to to learn new skills. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to do something completely different, and um, I think it's always nice to to widen up your your experiences or your skills. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a challenge for myself to learn new things in completely different fields.
0: You mentioned your friend had, had traveled the world on an Africa twin. That was your inspiration. That That's sort of what got you into it. You, you weren't a rider before then.
1: Uh, no, I never never uh, rode a bike before, actually. I always loved bikes, but it was not really like in my, my family never had bikes or I didn't have an older brother. And my friends in the neighborhood didn't really have bikes. So, yeah, that was my first bike and um, start, did my um, my. Uh, my uh, I got my exam or uh, my um, my driving license, and then did a couple of small trips. The, there was a Trans European Trail, like Tet in Europe. You might have heard of it. Sure. And yeah, and then did couple a uh, couple of them, and then after, um, um, yeah, when I was satisfied with that, I uh, hit the road to see the world.
0: Figured you were you were prepared and ready to go. You also did a bunch of work on the bike.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, because the trends up, it's, it's a, it's a cheap, like a very accessible bike price wise, but it's definitely not a uh, road trip, uh, worthy. Like the suspension needs to be changed or in, at least in my opinion, to have a comfortable ride. Uh, recently I, I built a bigger tank. I, I take welded uh, a 26 liter uh, tank for the, for the bike. Um, uh, new new headlights new seats um i've got cyclops lights from uh from from uh, that i heard on the, the podcast <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah nice. i installed them great lights i love yeah yeah they're great so um yeah lots of small little things which are not necessarily um uh they're not necessarily needed but they give a
0: nice added comfort i reckon on on the trip yeah. you have you have an impressive fairing on there
1: yeah, that's uh, that's that's actually uh, a front, the front fairing that was made uh, with um, a colleague of mine during my work. I used to make carbon fiber parts for the medical sector, and um, together with him, uh, we made the the front part. Uh, to, so I could have like um, my phone and the extra electronics behind a charge unit. Um, all the the heated grip electronics, all that stuff—that's behind there. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. that comes from your your design, right? Like you came up—you didn't just copy somebody else's design; that's your own.
1: Yeah, well, for the for the transat, there was not too much stuff around. Oh, you, you had the the off fairing, like the replicas, but they were a bit expensive, so I decided to make one my own.
0: Yeah. Why are you traveling alone? Why Why not try and get somebody to go along with you?
1: Uh, for for me the biggest the biggest advantage of traveling is, uh, alone is that you you're kind of forced to meet new people. Uh, not that I feel that it's uh, that it's um, something negative. I mean, if you're alone in your tent or in a hotel, you kind of start exploring and see oh who, who's in in town and you kind of try to meet up with different travelers or locals. And um, it's way more easy I think to make connections and to. Um, um also get invited by people because if they see one person they think oh poor guy uh it's raining uh, uh, let's invite him inside but if you see two people and one of the like the the boyfriend or the girl he's got a bottle of wine in his hand then you think oh they'll be fine they have a cozy evening mm. yeah. so for me yeah like alone this you're way more open or or way more um um you get easily accepted or introduced in different communities or friends or, or people who want to give you a, uh, who want to give a, an experience to you or share an experience. Yeah.
0: You, you said you're from Belgium. I'm assuming you started out in Belgium. Where did you go?
1: Yeah, I started in Belgium, then went through Luxembourg, Germany. Um, after that, France, Italy, Slovenia, Croatia, Uh, Serbia, what else was there, Bulgaria, um, Romania, then Croatia, Uh, I'm sorry, then Greece, Uh, then through over the islands, I went to Turkey, and then Iran, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, uh, then uh, through China to go to Pakistan, and then uh, India and Nepal. And after that, I shipped it to Australia.
0: You left in 2019, April of 2019. How long have you been in, in Australia for?
1: Uh, I, I arrived literally two weeks before the, the lockdown happened. So that was um, the end of February 2020, or maybe the first week of March. And um, yeah, I was pretty lucky because my bike was just left Singapore and a couple of days later, Singapore went in lockdown uh, and the bike was luckily already on the boat to get shipped to Brisbane. So yeah, it could have been uh, quite different.
0: Mm, right, and, and did do you think that Australia was the place to stay while well, while this was all going on? Of course, yeah. Yeah, I know you had no idea how long it was going to drag on for.
1: I think Australia is not a bad place to um, to have been in lockdown. Um, it's quite big; it's bigger than Europe. So, um, and even the, the states had lockdown, yet one state is still bigger than the size of France. Um, and yeah, there's heaps of stuff to explore, and um, to, uh, uh, when the lockdown actually, or when COVID kind of settled a bit, so a couple of months in, it was actually kind of easy to get a job because a lot of backpackers and people went back to Europe or their, or their home country. So after that actually it was quite, um, I would almost say that it was it, was, it, it gave a few extra opportunities uh, to travel the country.
0: How did you find that you're uh, getting accommodations to begin with? Because that's one thing that, that I'd heard from many travelers. Uh, well, not many, the few travelers that, are, that really that I've been talking with that stayed out during COVID was the difficulty of finding a place to stay.
1: Yeah, lots of people were pretty, um, pretty cautious about inviting or, or, or hiring people. Um, I got a job on, 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 a, on a pretty remote farm and I eventually stayed there for seven months because um, there was kind of the, the only or the easiest option to stay there and at least know that you have a house uh, to stay in and have a job. And I was uh, five hours away from Sydney, so uh, it was pretty safe to stay in um, in the back country rather than in the city, where where there was uh, in the cities there was a quite bit of COVID. But even uh, when you go in the in the back country. Or in the, um, the countryside, then you could just go to the pub without worries.
0: Yeah. Oh, so you you sort of went on with life there, as if, as if nothing was happening then.
1: Yeah, especially especially in the countryside, um, there was almost no no difference um, uh, pre-COVID or during COVID.
0: When when you went through all the stands and and you made that first leg of the trip did that experience really change the way that you saw the world? What, was that a, a, an impactful part of your journey so far?
1: Um, yeah. The, all the stand counters are just unique on its own. Um, starting with uh, Turkmenistan, I was so surprised to see how, how strong of a, of a dictatorship, it's, it, or how strong the dictatorship put like, um, how do you say, a mark on the country. Um, it is... Just unreal to drive through, and you see the the, the big marble city, uh, full of, of marble and big buildings. Nobody lives in there. Big five lane streets, all built just for the for the dictator back in the days.
0: Oh wow! And uh, so that's
1: definitely something. It felt a bit like North Korea, uh, if I like, if I can compare images. Um, but then, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan is just unspoiled nature and 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 extremely friendly people, people. So yeah, that's pro- like probably one of the best experiences for, during my trip, those, those countries.
0: What does that do for your view of the world or, or people or culture?
1: Well, uh, well, when I was traveling through a couple of valleys in Kyrgyzstan, um, you see people still living in a yurt, which is a tent um, uh, with a big, like a canvas tent, a circular tent. And they live with a couple of horses and maybe a donkey. And the whole summer, they just live like nomads in the valleys. And then you kind of get humble and appreciate the the luxury you have. Even though on a motorbike, you're quite compromised luxury-wise. But yet, then you appreciate your your dry t-shirt that you have in your dry bag. If you see them on their horses sometimes. So they've got maybe 50 horses that they kind of... Shepherd, or how do you say that? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, they just go through rough weather. Uh, They stay there sometimes for 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 several months in the mountains, just living of horse meat or dried meat. And yeah, it's pretty tough world. It's a pretty tough world there, I reckon.
0: But are, are they suffering? Because you said they're they're happy, they're friendly, or they're, you think you said they're friendly. Do you think they're suffering, or, or does that does that experience, like for something like that, sort of make you look at? The way that a lot of the world lives, the Western world, so to speak, and think, are we on the right track?
1: Well, yeah, it, it is just very inspiring to see them indeed be happy with so little they have and be satisfied with the the, the bare basics and we we complain if we can't find um, if we ship our an, a new motorbike part and it doesn't arrive within a couple of weeks, some people <laughs> are already furious about it yeah. yeah. So it, it, it just makes me really humble, I, I think, and to be, and, and I appreciate the small things in life rather than trying to get more and more and tr- earning more money and, and just, yeah.
0: Do you think that will stay with you? Do, you? do you think you'll come back, go back to Belgium sort of a, with a different mindset or, or maybe fall back into routine?
1: No, that, definitely. That, that's what, uh, Something that I will uh, keep on remembering um, just to, to appreciate the small things you have and try to be happy with less. Uh, I think that's actually a really nice um, way of living, yeah.
0: So now in Australia, as you sit right now, if you were to talk with your friends or something, you know, like that knew you from uh, as a kid, would they say, geez, Bert's quite a different person now. You know, he's, he's, he looks at things differently. He's, he's got some strange views of the world.
1: Um, well, yeah, I, I think I've, I, well, I always have been not too much of um, a materialist. I mean, I, I do like stuff and gear, but not necessarily that I always want to have the, the most fancy watch and uh, be the, the most famous guy on Instagram. So I think uh, it, it always has been in me to be kind of humble and appreciate um, yeah smaller things in life rather than just trying to achieve the, the greatest or the biggest things. Yeah.
0: Do you, do you ever feel like that what you're doing is such a grand thing? It's, it's a huge thing and not many people actually do what you're doing. Do you ever think that, that um, that you should be sharing it or you should turn it into something, you know you know what I mean? To, to make a point, to benefit uh, other people, that sort of thing, rather than just a solo journey, or are you quite satisfied with it being that solo journey?
1: I have been thinking about it and I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure if you have to have like a a greater purpose during your trip. Um, Some people do something for charity. Some people do like an awareness or document everything. Um, I started with that and I'm still making videos on YouTube and and posting stuff on Instagram. But with the videos, I'm around two years behind. Um, (laughs) And yeah, personally, um, I don't really push that because I'm still traveling is still the priority for me. So I definitely will do uh, upload the videos. But for me, I prefer to spend my time or invest my time now in in, in traveling. And then if I feel like it or if I want to make some more videos and I'm definitely going to share them. But it's not my priority to to keep, for example, posting every week a video and to keep the the followers happy or something or to try to document it. Because I think... There is already a, a whole bunch of uh, information online. And yeah, I don't know.
0: And, and I'm not saying this wrong because I, I, I agree with totally with what you're saying there. Absolutely. That is my thought process as well. But you, you can't help but think that you're gaining so much knowledge. And and I'm not even talking about social media, but I just mean that you're gaining so much knowledge. You're learning things about the world that most people will never, ever know. And it's almost like um, it's the thought process as you get older in life, you tend to gain a lot of knowledge about life. And you sort of think that, geez, it's such a shame that I'm going to take this to the grave with me. You know, I I, I should be passing this on. And you, and you do, you try to pass it on to your kids, but your kids don't want to hear from you because you're the parent, right? So, I mean, it, it falls on deaf ears and it's usually somebody else that you end up trying to pass it on with. But that's what I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, that you're learning so much. You know so much about the world and especially spending the time that you have on the road. It would just be, um, you just can't help but think that, you know, that knowledge should be passed on somehow.
1: Yeah, th- th- that's true. And um, I do write uh, some kind of a diary um, of my trip. So every, I combine two or three weeks of my trip and I write two or three pages about it. And that gets posted on the website of GV, which also um, uh, sponsors the, the luggage and the helmet that I'm wearing. And that's actually a really nice, um, I, I, I'll call it a commitment cause, or not a commitment, more a motivation. Um, and then after, after my trip, I have maybe, let's say 20 or 30 reports. And actually that's, that's fairly easy to combine in a little book for yourself if you want or to, mm-hmm. to give to other people. So I, I'm definitely keeping a track keep, keeping track of it, which is quite nice to read through Even if I do it myself, I read through the the reports of the first weeks and I I forgot already so much stuff. So it's really nice to, uh, to remember them and to refresh those memories, yeah.
0: Yeah. Just for yourself. I know a diary is amazing. I, I've done different, uh, diaries throughout life, uh, just to, sporadically. I always have the ambition to try and keep it on a daily basis. It never works out, yeah. but it's so nice when you go back and read it, it takes you right back to that yeah. moment. It's, um, it's, it's a great way to jog your memory and make you remember the things that were special for you. But, but from that book, I mean, hopefully from that, from those writings, hopefully someday, if you decide to put a book together, you'll take a, sort of maybe a different approach instead of doing it as a, um, this is what I did. And this is where I got my bike stuck into maybe some broader perspectives, you know, just being that you have a background, you've, you've been well-educated and you might be able to give some broader perspectives on the world, the way things work and, and maybe even our thought processes on, on the way we live.
1: Yeah, it's definitely, um, even now during my trip, sometimes people have, have an opinion or have, Questions and then I say, oh yeah, have a look on on that uh, report that I wrote or the the section of my diary. Uh, have a look how I, I cross that country, how I cross that border. um So yeah, definitely, I, I really appreciate it if I can, or I really like it if I can give um people um some extra information or if I can help them out, even with the bike. Lots of people ask like, oh how do you, how did you do this or that, and then it's pretty nice to give them some uh, information and some knowledge about um, why you should or should not do this. Yeah.
0: In the the experience you've had right now traveling since April, 2019, what experience has, has made the most meaningful impact on you so far on the trip?
1: Uh, A positive or a negative experience or just in general,
0: either way or both. I I would like to hear both. Um, Probably the most thrilling experience
1: was crossing Iran because I was kind of, or I was fully illegal in the country. Um, They didn't allow motorbikes with a CC content higher than 250 CC in the country. And I smuggled my 600 CC bike. And so that was probably the most exciting part of the whole trip. Um, And then... Also in Iran, my race suspension, the shock broke down, and uh, I ended up riding for about six weeks without proper suspension because I couldn't import. Uh, I couldn't import a new shock. Yeah.
0: Well, let's talk about that. Iran, getting in. What's the issue here? You you roll up with your bike. What's the issue?
1: Uh, it Iran has a, has a pretty crazy history, as as quite a few people know. I think. And so that happened all in 2019, somewhere in spring, so the April or whatever. And um, because of the sanctions, the US sanctions, Iran has had kind of some kind of a counter move and they were rejecting foreign motorbikes, especially American motorbikes or foreign motorbikes higher than 250cc engine capacity. So they won't uh, let you
0: enter the country. Anything over 250cc, you're not in.
1: That's right. Everything over 250cc or everything uh, of an American-made bike, like mm. no, no uh, Harley-Davidson or something. Right. Uh, um, so yeah, Facebook was full of posts of people being like desperately trying to get in the country or getting rejected or suggestions that you could put the bike on a truck and then get a transit visa of 10 days and, and uh, go through Iran. But I really wanted to enter run because uh, it's such a beautiful country, and I really wanted to ride through. So I, um, I, I kind of came up with a plan, and um, the plan was that I would uh, hide all the potential um, indications of of uh, a bigger bike. So on the engine wait itself. Wait a second!
0: Wait a second! You're gonna... So we're going to take just a quick break while I tell you about a couple of things. But when we come back, Bert's going to explain his crafty smuggling plan, trying to get the bike that's too big into a country that has strict adherence to rules and regulations, even pedantic. And also how part of that plan is him pretending that he can't speak English and how that doesn't really work if the person you're speaking to doesn't speak English either. Stay with us. If you spent very much time riding, you probably run across that stiff wrist feeling. You know, when you're riding a distance, it doesn't even have to be a real long distance, but you got to hold your wrist in exactly the same spot for a long time because it's the throttle, right? Maybe hours, even a quick stop at the side of the road, I find often offers little relief because when you get back on the road, your poor wrist is in that same position again, your hand too. Well, the cure for that is the Atlas Throttle Lock. This little device, which simply clamps onto your handlebar in just a couple of minutes, will not only relieve that, but it also will change the way you ride. At least it's done it for me. Now, I'm a convert because I have an Atlas Throttle Lock. Here's what it is. It was invented by Heidi and David Winters, by the way, when they were on our Around the World trip on their KTM, and they were in need of a quality throttle lock, couldn't find what they they wanted. So they came back and designed something. Now, what makes this Throttle Lock, the Atlas Throttle Lock, different than anything else you've tried, anything else you've tried, is, well, everything. Everything about this. First, it's made of metal. It's manufactured with the craftsmanship of a, of a Swiss watch. It's really beautiful. It's simple. There's only two buttons on it. One's for engage. One's for disengage. And they both have a positive feedback to them, so you know exactly what's going on. As soon as you press the button, then it's solid. The whole thing is solid because it's made of metal and it's just well built. Like it's it's a very tight, um, small device. It's adjustable. So when you're riding along, you have it engaged. You need to speed up. You don't have to turn it off. You don't have to turn the buttons off. You don't have to press any button. You just simply twist your throttle on or off, and then it holds the new position. It's movable from one bike to another because it fits almost every bike. You can just move it easily from one to another. The website is Um, Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Atlasthrottlelock.com. IMS Products is well known on the racing circuit. If you were uh, in an off-road race, you'd see their logos all over the place. Because they manufacture top quality products that racers can count on. And and in case you didn't realize that, much of the products uh, or many of the products that we get at the consumer level have had some early time on the racetrack. And that's because the racetrack is is a proving ground like no other. It can set up the extremes and allow them to test things and then retest things and make the adjustments. And if it can survive the track, well, it's easily going to survive everyday use. So when IMS products design their full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs designed just for... ADV riders, they took all that knowledge, all all the knowledge they've gained over the years that IMS has been doing this sort of thing, that's since 1976, and poured that into the new line of uh, motorcycle foot pegs for adventure riders. Now, from the ADV1s and the ADV2s, which are a fairly large platform, down in size to the core enduro, all these pegs are made of cast-certified 17 four stainless steel. All receive a certified heat-treating process and all are warranted for life. You can't go wrong with this. Not to mention the fact that they are designed specifically for the way we ride. Have a look at them. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. Bike. So
1: on the engine itself. Wait a second,
0: wait a second. You're going to scam your way in? That's what you were going to do? Are are you worried about the consequences here? I mean, you just just made the decision to, well, I I guess to smuggle something in.
1: Uh, It was actually quite um, intimidating. You're not wrong there. Um, But I had quite a few very uh, interesting um, treats. Um, So for example, a Carnet de Passage, which is an import document for the motorbike, there on the CC content of the bike was not written, only the um, engine uh, power was written, so in kilowatt. Um, so basically it said 37 kilowatt, and they were asking, yeah, where's the engine capacity? And I said, oh, kilowatt is just a different unit for CC content. So it's 37 kilowatt is about 250 CC. <laughs> and that was kind of my, um, my way how to get into the country, but it didn't, it didn't end there. Um, so I covered up all the, all the little, uh, marks or, or logos saying 600. And then, uh, the, you have the, like the embossed, um, CC content on the, on the block itself of the engine. So I, I put a bit of mud on it. Like, like it looked that I just came from a pretty dirty, uh, muddy dirt track. And, um, yeah, I, 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 I rocked up at the Turkish border and, um, Um, And I was at a closed gate and that was in the south of Turkey, uh, close to the Syrian border. Uh, There's one border between Iran and Turkey, which is kind of a bit of a wild one, very chaotic, apparently. So I tried to enter there and at the Turkish border, they're already saying like, oh, this is a very big bike. And I said, yeah, it's an old bike. It's just a very old bike and it looks big, but it's 250 (laughs) cc.
0: You're preparing your lie for for (laughs) Iran.
1: And, um, yeah, they were pretty hesitated and, uh, but eventually they let me through. So I was at that time, I was already in, the, um, no man's land in between the two gates of the country. So I was kind of a little bit further and I come at the next gate and, uh, I still remember it pretty, pretty well. It was about 40 degrees. Um, I was, there was no shade. I was in my full motorbike suit and then there was a heavily guarded, Uh, heavily guarded gate and the guards were standing in the shade of course Um, and I waited there for quite a while and then eventually they let me in and I um, parked my bike just out of the side of the camera and I walked into the building and uh, tried to hustle my way in but that didn't uh, go too well because I go at the first office a pretty dirty office and a guy in a pretty dirty suit and, um, yeah, he looks at the documents and he asked for the CC, uh, content of the motorbike because he couldn't see it in the document. So I say, yes, a uh, two, two cylinder motorbike. I I, 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 certainly, I couldn't speak too good English anymore. So I said, yes, yes, two, two, two uh, two cylinder, 250 CC, good bike. And, um, <laughs> yeah, th- th- he didn't speak English. I realized that when I finished my whole uh, my whole uh, prepared sentence, and um, suddenly there was some kind of um, of a fixer, you know those border fixers who kind of um, can give you a bit of a fast forward process, mm-hmm. and he could he couldn't speak English either, but at least he he kind of knew to which guy to go. So we go to the next guy, and um, the next guy had a had a separate desk and a fancy suit on, and uh, that appeared to be the chief of the border. Um, and he looks at the papers, and uh, he asks again the same questions: "What's the engine content? What's the engine content?" And I say, "Yeah, just two hundred fifty cc, thirty-seven kilowatts. It's the same as that." But he didn't he didn't buy it uh, in my um, in my proposal and so he he walked with me outside and um, he walked around the bike and uh, he went onto his knees started scrubbing a bit of dirt off and I thought oh this is it Um, I I had such a dry mouth and I was so stressed um, but the mud must have been thick enough that he uh, couldn't be bothered and he stood back up and uh, he asked again, "What's the engine content?" And uh, I said, "Yes, yes, uh, two, two cylinder <laughs> and uh, he,
0: what's, he, whats the what's the penalty here? So no, I just want to stop you right at this point here he's He's uh, checking uh, your bike he's he's trying he's pretty sure this bike is not 250 cc. I can tell by the way you're describing him doing it, but what's the penalty? What up. happens to you oh. if he finds out
1: I honestly uh, I think I didn't want to know. Uh, That Iran is pretty pretty bad, I think. Yeah, uh, I mean, it could be serious. Jail wise, yeah. But I still just acted like I didn't know any better. So um, then he started writing down on the paper in big letters "CC question mark." So that was pretty obvious. Um, And I just kind of held my case, and um, and he walked around. Like it was getting pretty pretty stressy. The situation was pretty a little bit tense, I'd say. You mean and, he, um, he was he,
0: aggravated with you?
1: Yes, yes. He yeah. was a bit agitated and uh, he, did, yeah, he, did, he didn't like that. I didn't understand him and he kind of knew there was something off because the bike is definitely, yeah, it's, it's big. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he walks around the bike and he looks at the license plate and he asks, where are you from? And um, I say, I- I'm from Belgium. And um, he says, Belgium? Oh, Mark Wilmots, and uh, I, I'm like, I'm a bit confused because he just says a random name of a guy. And he said, yeah, Mark Wilmots, very good, very good. And then I realized Mark Wilmots, he's, he's a coach of our national soccer team. And I couldn't, couldn't understand why he was referring to that guy. So I just played the game and I say, yeah, Mark Wilmots, yeah, good guy. And, uh, he starts naming all the football players of the national team of Belgium. And I'm so confused. I'm like, wow, he, he knows more than me. And he, he starts naming them and he suddenly, he starts smiling. He says, Mark Wilmot, very good, very good. And apparently, um, Iran, so Mark Wilmots, our national, co- um, coach, he is now the national coach, coach of the Iranian soccer team. <laughs> and yeah. That was so unreal. And he, he, he takes the document out of my hands and he signs it. And I'm like, wow, what just happened there? I was so excited that I really needed to, like, like really try to be calm and, and didn't, don't show my excitement because, after all, he <laughs> just signed the document of a 250cc bike, you know. There's nothing to be excited
0: for. And you're supposed to be believing it's 250cc, so it should be no yeah. big deal.
1: <laughs> exactly. so I shouldn't be too excited. And, um, yeah, he signs a document. He's really happy. He, uh, he gives me a hug and he walks off and I'm flabbergasted what just happened, but I, I just pretend that everything is fine. So I go with a big pace, I go back in the building and, uh, I go to the next office, uh, like you have, um, uh, immig- immigration or, um, 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 a customs office. So mm-hmm. I go to the next officer and uh, he sees that the chief already signed, so he just signs the second uh, signature, and then there was only one to go. So I go to the to the third office and get the third signature, and off I go. I was in Iran.
0: That's it. You're in Iran with a 600 cc motorcycle, probably the yeah, only I was, person.
1: That's right. I, 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 it was unreal. I was so excited and so um, stressful at the same time because it was yeah borderline. Um, it was not legal, but it was, um, borderline, um, um, I'm actually not sure if I would do it again in
0: hindsight. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you probably had an idea of, well, what can go wrong when you're coming up to the border when you're in Turkey, for instance. But when he's, when he's looking at the bike, didn't that start to run through your mind? Like, what have I done? I've, I've screwed up here.
1: Yeah. Well, at that time I was... I can barely even remember um, what I was thinking there, but I I know pretty sure that I was pretty, um, I know really well that I was uh, very stressed out and my mouth was so dry like (laughs) the Sahara. Um, And it was 40 degrees with the full motorbike suit because I didn't take it off. I forgot about, or it was just, yeah, um, it was a very stressful moment, (laughs) but um, somehow I made it and yeah, um, in hindsight, it's, it's probably quite, um, probably quite stupid because you, you hear stories of, for example, the two Australian people who, who flew their drone oh, in Iran yeah. the and they were t- lost for, for, they were in jail for a couple of weeks or months and nobody knew where they were. So yeah, it's definitely not something to play games
0: with. Yeah. So what do you draw from that? Looking back now in hindsight, when you reflect on this story that you just told me, what do you draw from that? Um, I guess sometimes you
1: do have to put on your naughty shoes and just try it and, and go for the challenge. But I think you also should be aware of the challenges up front. Um, cause I guess you're young and you're, you you, you think you can handle everything. Uh, but if it goes wrong, it can go wrong pretty badly. I reckon. So you kind of have to be aware of it up front. If you do stuff like that, I guess.
0: So you, you just said that if you were looking at it again, you probably wouldn't do it again.
1: I would maybe do it again, but at least have a better backup plan. Now I didn't really have a backup plan. If they would have scratched off the mud a bit more, they would have seen that it was a 600cc and that I was playing, tr- playing games. Yeah.
0: Oh, I see. So, you, you're, you're, not so <laughs> you're not totally turned off the idea. You just want a better lie.
1: <laughs> well, well, it, 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 the, the thing is that I was br- the, the idea was already brewing in my head for a couple of weeks before, and I was kind of getting so excited of imagine that you are the only motorbike rider in Iran, the only foreign motorbike rider, and it kind of it became almost a challenge or like um, a, a life goal to do it. So <laughs> it got maybe a bit dangerous
0: there. <laughs> what well, was it worth? It what was Iran like? Oh,
1: Iran is absolutely fantastic. It was pretty warm. Um and at that time I was actually also listening to uh, King on the Road. Uh he was on your uh on your podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, so he went through Iran for a long time and um oh, it's it's a really nice country. Yeah. It's the the people are so friendly that they they stop you in the middle of the highway and uh, so I just entered the country and people stopped me with like they waved their hand to stop and ask, "Oh, what's wrong?" And they're like, "Oh no, no, we just want to ask if everything is all right. Do you need anything? Do you want some water? Do you have a place to stay?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I, I, I'm fine. Thanks. I, I, I was really surprised that people were asking that. And yeah, that that, that that's quite uh, quite different than um than the Western culture. I reckon. Yeah.
0: Did that stand out to you? Is Iran the the country that stands out so far to you as um being you know significantly culturally different?"
1: yeah iran and and actually pakistan also they're both muslim countries and um in both of the countries i literally had invitations uh, several invitations to their homes to their to hotels and sometimes i kindly reject them because the day before i was already staying for two days at a family and i say oh it, it's very kind but i kind of want to move on a little bit and then sometimes they get aggressive almost like oh you're in our house you, you are our guest um and then yeah it's it's unreal or or you stay at their house and then in the morning you kind of want to repay the favor or and you say oh i'll I'll make you some breakfast or i'll I'll get you something and they feel insulted that you want to repay the favor yeah it's, Mm. it's it's such a different culture yeah
0: is is that culture or is it also culture mixed with the fact they don't see many tourists
1: um yeah that's a good question um I think it's mainly culture, honestly, because sometimes you are in the middle of, um, of a really remote village and they don't even speak English. And yet they still invite you in their house and you don't even say anything to them. And they feel comfort, comfortable. Um, sometimes you have a meal with some people and I don't understand a single word, but you just give a smile and they give a nod and everything is all right. So and they're not even curious about what you're doing. They just, are happy to give you a meal yeah that's quite uh, quite a thing
0: you went from pakistan into india did you
1: yeah that's right. through the um, through, um um i forgot the name of the border but the, the famous border where they do the border ceremony and the closing yeah
0: and, and what was india like for you
1: um india is is a very interesting also it's it's a proper uh, roller coaster emotional roller coaster um they have a very different approach of social distancing and awareness, um, social distancing and um, uh, comfort bubble, or how do you call it? So if you have a nice and cozy tea, little tea uh, on the side of the road, suddenly there can be 10 people uh, looking over, over your back and, have, and looking what you're doing on your phone and uh in, in, in Europe that would be considered rude that they're looking what you're doing on your phone but there it's so normal that um that you kind of have to say it before they even realize that you kind of appreciate your privacy for example um so yeah it's it's always um you, you always have to be kind um of, um not alert but change your your habits because it's such a different culture and it just i've had amazing experiences but also quite um um intense experiences which can be a bit exhausting yeah because the the people are very um or, or just the culture is very um penetrating in your
0: in your privacy bubble mm-hmm. yeah did they respect your privacy when you pointed it out
1: um not always sometimes i was just ordering some food and I, I turn I turn around and there's five people sitting on my motorbike and then I say "Oh, please go off my bike um, uh, and I ask it friendly and then they laugh and then they take some pictures and then you kind of ask it again a little bit like with a elevated or with um, a stronger voice and then they still don't go off and then you almost have to scream like please go off the bike now and then they just laugh and say okay 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 And, but that's their culture. They would do also the same with other people and they don't really feel even insulted. If you would, if you would say like, no, you have to go off the bike. They just say, okay, okay. Mm. Um, So yeah, if we would have this situation in in Europe, we would probably feel really uncomfortable. Like, oh, he got really aggressive or like, this is not good or the opposite way. Like, oh, he is sitting on my bike. This is not good too. But there it's it's, it's, yeah, emotions and um, approaches, uh, conversations, are, are so different. It's it's um, it's the same if you want to ha- have something arranged for your visa or or, or documents administration wise. You really really have to um, you really have to push through to get it. Otherwise, two months later, you're still waiting for your signature on on your document. Yeah.
0: And, and did you get used to it at all? Did you did you find some sort of rhythm by the time you were leaving India?
1: Um. Let's say when I I was happy to go in the mountains and to to see the the more remote places and have a bit less people because the cities are quite quite, um, quite submersive in 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 like, like the emotional roller coaster.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so yeah, I think it would be just a whisker too too much of um, of um, too too many sensations um, going on. Yeah, because it's not necessarily bad or or good. It's just
0: very intense yeah yeah just a just a different way of life a different culture but you mentioned that Iran was was one of those impactful places and you, you mentioned you, you alluded at least that there was there was another impactful experience what was that
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, you mean when I was in the, in the stand countries in uh, Tajikistan? Oh, or anyone.
0: I mean, anyone. Was oh. was there something that, you know, was there, was there an experience? I mean, there must've been loads of them, but I mean, which one really stands out to you as an impactful experience, good or bad, that maybe even changed the way you looked at things or, or changed your your attitude or your ideas of, of a country or culture?
1: Um. Oh Well, well in Iran, and sorry, in India, there, I was in the mountains and uh, a shepherd, he, um he had, uh, really, actually, he only had a couple of teeth left in his mouth. But the single, the, the few teeth that were that were in there, they were all infected. So I gave him a couple of painkillers, and because um, he he just walked to me and he opened his mouth and he showed it, and I said, "Oh, that doesn't look good." And he yeah, he couldn't speak a word English. He probably was not even speaking Hindi because in the mountains they have different languages. So I gave him a couple of painkillers, and suddenly he started kissing my motorbike boots, and I was really shocked about that. Um, but that's also part of their culture. And I said, "Please don't, don't, don't kiss my boots. I'm, I'm not a god or whatever. Like, I just when you give you some painkillers and like you don't have to feel lower than me because it, it really, it really made an impression on me. Yeah.
0: Mm. In in what way?
1: Um. So you used to have the caste system in, in India, which is kind of a hierarchy of, of people and um, the people from a lower class, they um, they were always submissive to like a higher class. And if as a, as a way of thank you, they would literally kiss the other, the other person's his feet. Um, or, or do... Yeah, and for me, that felt very... Um, yeah, I was a bit shocked about that because I, I didn't want to feel like uh, that I was higher than him. I was just from a different world or a different culture, and not necessarily above him. Yeah,
0: with the caste system, you're you're born into that, and you can never escape it because people will pick up on your accents. Apparently, in India, and they can tell where you're from, and they they will tell what caste you're in, even if you're pretending to to be something else. Um, that must still hang around somewhat in India. I know it's supposed to be officially abolished, but.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think it's still um indeed also just your family name uh, is a remembrance of of is a memory of of what your cast was. Of course, yeah. Um so it's definitely in the more remote places it's still there and it's it's um as a foreigner it's quite um I, I was I was definitely shocked for from that experience, yeah, actually, yeah.
0: It sounds like you were repulsed by it.
1: Yeah, it's just it just feels really sad to see those people living in in such um in such or, or being treated by all because it just doesn't grow overnight such a caste system. So the way they handle that the situation what happened with me and and uh, the shepherd um he probably reacts to all the people who are above him like that and and I find it just sad to see such a hierarchy for for no single reason because it's just, yeah, I think it's just a very strange, um, approach, those cost systems. Yeah.
0: You've met up with other people. You'd mentioned that you were riding with a, a, a German couple. You met up with some people in Tajikistan. Can you tell that story about the Bartang Valley? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so the Bartang Valley is, um, the, the Pemir Highway, um, is a really famous road in Tajikistan and Bartang Valley is actually a side valley. It's about three, 400 kilometers of, um, uh, kind of rough off-road riding, and it starts pretty gentle. There's, um, I think, after sixty kilometers, you still you have the last village or a little
0: a couple of houses. And what's the attraction to the Bartang Valley?
1: Yeah, so the, the attraction behind it is that it's a really, really remote valley, and um, it, it's kind of a shortcut of a four hundred kilometer shortcut, which eventually connects again with the premier highway, and it goes all the way to four thousand one hundred meters. And you just see like extremely wild and rugged terrain, um, big big rivers uh, from glacial uh, um, melting water. You see huge glaciers and snow topped mountains going to seven thousand meters and higher. Um, Yeah, and then and then in the beginning there's still people living in small villages or small settlements um and that's it's it's just an extremely remote village which gives a really nice feeling of um, exploration
0: so you meet up with some people to ride with and what do you do with that you just you happen to see another bike and just wave and flag them down or how does that happen
1: no, so um, um, there was three, uh, 400 kilometers so I prepared uh, I had extra fuel with me, I had food for four days and uh, I would def- I, I plan to do about 100 kilometers a day because it's pretty rough and you need to go through a couple of rivers or a lots a lot of river crossings. And um, so the first day I started riding on my own and um, I uh, yeah I rode on my own, did quite a bit of river crossings and flooded roads. so I only did I think 80 kilometers. And um, um, by the second day, in the, the afternoon of the second day, I suddenly see a German guy who was 73, Frederick, and um, Roberto, a guy from Texas. And they're both, uh, they're, they're both interesting guys because Roberto, he, he never rode an adventure bike before or off-road, and he bought a brand new KTM 1290 and shipped it to Central Asia specifically to ride the Barton Valley. And Frederick, he was 73, he had a SWM moto, um, like a bike 400cc with a broken suspension and um, uh, pretty worn
0: equipment. And were they a team? Were they riding as a team? No, they met up in the beginning
1: and uh, Roberto thought, oh yeah, that's fine. And um, they started riding together, but to his... um, to his regret, they were already traveling for three days on the, on the Barting Valley. And I met up after, in the afternoon of my second day, I met up with them and we decided to ride together because, um, Frederick, the German guy, he had, um, quite a bit of difficulties, uh, moving on. We needed to ride his bike through the river crossings and stuff. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, he, he had a heart disease. Um, he, yeah. So he, he, he suddenly, when I saw him, he said, oh yeah, by the way, um, if i've got issues with my heart just give me a big whack on the back and it'll be fine oh, oh, oh. i've had it
0: before so here you've prepared for this ride this you said 400 kilometers you're, you're prepared you've got your fuel and you've got your plan yeah. and you've got your food and everything talk about the preparation that it appears that both frederick and roberto have done
1: so Roberto was not too bad. He was actually quite well-prepared. Only he was heavily overloaded on his bike. But for the rest, he was doing pretty good. Um, uh, but Frederick, so he was 73. He actually did already of travels before. The bike came from India before, uh, so he traveled a bit in India. And now he was in Central Asia. But um, he, he had two loaves of bread and a can of tuna. One loaf of bread was moldy. And... <laughs> Um, he, yeah, he was definitely not prepared at all for the trip. He didn't have a cell phone or he had a cell phone, but he didn't have, um, like an active card there.
0: You didn't have a SIM card.
1: And no. Yeah. So we ended up, um, uh, kind of, uh, yeah, we, like if we would leave him behind, literally that would have been pretty bad. So we just decided all to travel together, share our food. And by the end of the second day, um, his subframe breaks, Uh, So it was in the afternoon still, and uh, the sun was still high up and his subframe snapped into the the bolt, which connects the subframe to the mainframe snaps. So we opened up the bike and he said, oh, yeah, um, I've had an issue in India. So they put a a bolt in India, but maybe I should have changed that bolt because, yeah, it's an Indian bolt. And I said to him, maybe you should have changed that indeed because the bolt snapped again. So, um, we ended up putting, uh, uh, we put another bolt in, but it was too short. So we had the bolt together, a bit of, together with a bit of steel wire and some zip ties and we zipped it all together and the bike actually held up. So that was quite a thing.
0: <laughs> when you see his, his loaf of bread and one of them's moldy, two loaves of bread, one of them's moldy. Did you say anything to him about that? Did you say, Hey, you're, you're like grossly unprepared?
1: Well, um, yeah. So, um, uh, it's actually quite like he, he's he's a very good guy. Don't get me wrong, but he was no no. And sorry, at,
0: and just just before you, I, I'm not making fun of them at all. It's just it's interesting to see how people you know handle themselves and, and, and the and the different ways that people travel. Yeah.
1: So we, at that time we were already joking, like, "Look, Frederick, you own us a very good meal in the next city, because otherwise you wouldn't survive here." Mm-hmm. So we were already giving his like sharing our food, and he um. He 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 knew that he was reliant on us. Um so but then also the, the, the fourth day he was already expecting that we would cook for him. <laughs> so that was getting pretty pretty funny. Um but and then um so yeah, a couple of river river crossings further, we arrive at an um, uh, altiplano, a high plain at about four thousand meters uh, altitude, and um we set up camp. And, um, yeah, we, we go for the night and in the morning, uh, we're packing up tents and he, um, Frederick is feeling really bad and he says, Oh, I'm feeling really weak. Um, I can't really breathe too good. Um, and he was packing one minute and then one minute rest and then one minute packing. So we said, just lay down next to your, next to your bike. We rolled up, we rolled open, um, or his tent and he was just laying next to his bike, resting a bit because there was no trees and it was getting pretty warm. And, um, yeah, he started to feel worse and worse and he, he measures his, his, uh, heartbeat and it was going from 60 beats per minute, couple of seconds. Then it was going to 120 beats per minute, oh, no. then back to 60 beats. And we really thought that he was having his heart condition again. And, um, Yeah, we were very confused because both Roberto and I didn't know what was happening. We only knew that the altitude was definitely not helping So because we were at 4,000 meters and we couldn't go back because we didn't have enough fuel to go back down. We didn't have enough food to go back. The rivers were getting really big because there were a couple of days that we had really warm weather so all the glaciers were melting so it was almost impossible to go back and the only way was actually going 300, 300 meters higher, even in altitude, and uh, like a whole day day trip further, and then sleep the second day at uh, I think it was called Karakul Lake, which also is also around four thousand meters. So yeah, we were a little bit um, uh, stuck in in possibilities. Um,
0: and and you're you're fearing for his life at this point.
1: Yeah we, we just we really thought he had a heart condition like uh, that there was um maybe uh, he was getting a stroke or he just had uh, like serious issues with his heart and we didn't have we didn't have reception there um we, I did have my 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 spot so my satellite tracker and my distress beacon and I was yeah I was thinking about it about using it um but then eventually after an hour of rest um, he said, oh, "I'm actually starting to feel a bit better. It's kind of the, the, the pulses or the, the frequencies of the high and low heartbeat is um, is slowing down and it's it's less intense. And he could breathe again a bit better. So we decided to continue riding very slow. And um, I rode up front to the to the next, like to the end of of Barting Valley, which joins again Premier Highway." And I went to the next town, which is only a couple of houses, but at least they have a little shop there and uh, bought a bottle of Coke and maybe some snacks. And then I drove back. And um, by the time I drove back, actually they made quite a bit of progress and um, we could all make it sound and safe back to the lake. Uh, And then we slept there. And um, yeah, next day, everything was all right. Um, But we did say that, yeah, we did say that he needed to see straight away a doctor. So, um, he uh, he rested there for another day and then he went to the hospital and apparently he had um I forgot the the medical name, but basically the the chamber was having spasms. The one of the chambers of his heart and was actually counter-pumping with the the main chamber of your heart oh and boy. that re- is restricting blood flow. Um, but if you have that, that together with altitude and maybe altitude sickness, uh, I think that could have been pretty, uh, pretty bad, yeah.
0: Well, I, And he said to you, though, that if he has a heart issue, give him a slap on the back. Who, what, what, what sort of medical information yeah. has he got?
1: So he, he, he actually knew. He knew that already before that he had that issue, but he just didn't tell anybody and he thought it'll be fine. Because when we were talking to him, he said, yeah, actually, I went already to a, to a doctor in Dushanbe." which is the city, um, it's a city in Tajikistan. And, um, yeah, so he actually knew all about it from the beginning, but thought it would be fine, which is yeah, Crazy. pretty risky.
0: Very risky. But, and, and the food thing, yeah. I mean, was he just, was, was he the type of person that, that goes unprepared or did he not understand what he was doing? Like where he was headed in the remoteness, lack of availability for food.
1: Honestly that's still for to still to, still up to date, the uh, mystery for me because he did travel already before he traveled through India and couple of, uh, and Russia and stuff and I think it was his th- third trip with a motorbike and he actually he knew what he was doing kind of or at least that's what I was thinking um but maybe just oblivious of situations or how how to judge uh, some situations um yeah uh it's, uh, I was a bit flabbergasted also. Yeah.
0: So Bert, after that experience, does that change the way you look at other riders and, or as far as teaming up with other riders? In other words, you know, you come into a situation like that. <laughs> does, does it make you apprehensive? Does it change it at all?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, cause Roberto, he came specifically from, uh, from the States to, um, to do the Barting Valley and he, he said, oh, I thought it would only take me two, three days. And now it took me five days. And he was actually, he was pretty upset with it uh, against Frederick saying like, look, you, um, you actually almost, we had almost a death on our conscious because you were just, uh, assuming that we would go with you and take care of you. We gave him food. We rode together with him. Uh, um, we, we, we rode his bike through the, through the river crossings. So I, it, 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 I felt also a little bit um, uh, annoyed by that, that you shouldn't take things for granted that other people will help you. Of course, we will help. But some people have a really tight schedule and want to travel uh, through to a certain region and don't want to have this kind of
0: excitement. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That had to impede on your experience because you were, you were thinking, you know, you were solo and you were planning this solo experience and you would have had a certain kind of experience, but really it turned out that you're, you're really looking after somebody, which is an adventure in itself. But I mean, it's a completely different experience than what you had planned on.
1: Yeah, of course. Like, like I I would never, ever in my life leave someone behind, no matter what, but indeed you didn't anticipate to that. And the thing is, if you can prevent it upfront, so I I was just annoyed or or maybe um yeah I, w- I was uh, annoyed about the situation that you can prevent those things, especially if it's already known up front um if 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 bad luck if bad things happen and 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 that all that can always happen with someone then of course no nobody to blame but if you if it's from um not really being well prepared or or stuff that you actually already know up front i think it's 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 tricky to to drag other people uh, into that. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you said you thought at one point of setting off your, or at least you considered that you had your your spot device, your your satellite device, and you thought about setting it off. What did you think was was the pros and cons of that? Um, well, the biggest
1: cons of that is that. Um, it, it's a one way communication device the one I have so if I would press the button then my parents or my emergency contact people would think something is wrong with me yeah. and uh, I wouldn't be able to contact back to them for the next two days so that's the, the biggest disadvantage of, of the spot device whereas the, the you have a different you have an, another version of it where you can do two way communication like text messages and I think actually that's way better um because in a situation like I had, if you press the button, uh, everybody will think it's, it's, it's me that is in distress, uh, which is probably as frightening for my parents or whatever than, than for our situation. hmm
0: yeah. And that's what ran through my mind. I, I know my friend, um, he had an idea for that. He said that because you have a check-in on that, he said that um, he, what he left was instructions that says, look, if, if my SOS goes off and then you get an immediate check-in that says I'm okay right afterwards, what I'm telling you is I've set this off for someone else. It's not my emergency. So that might be one way around it. But, but as you said, the ones that do the texting is, is much better. Uh, Spot has them. Zoleo so is is one that I have, um, yeah, which is excellent yeah, for that but uh, but yeah that's the stress isn't it because you think that you know that, that everyone at home is going to be notified and it's going to look like oh no something's happened and then what are they going to do what's it going to put my family through and then not only that how how are they going to rescue you in in Tajikistan I, I don't know what the rescue would be at 4000 meters.
1: yeah i agree with that it's um, it, it's it's all very nice on paper those those uh, emergency and distress beacons but more often than not you're in a very remote place and it could take maybe days to get rescued, so um, it it's not not so straightforward. If you think about it, um, I think you're better off being really well prepared rather than relying on um, on an emergency uh, distress device and and hope that. Uh, that the A-team in the helicopter will come and rescue you.
0: Yeah. 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 I think that's a very good point, you know, because it's not like calling an ambulance where all of a sudden, like you said, you, you would have to deal with him for, you know, a long time, probably days, you know, a couple of days, maybe, uh, who knows, you know, it depends on what sort of search and rescue they can they can gather in a country. And I know these companies, they do have um, quite a, a robust network of contacts in, in different countries, but um, let's face it, re- remote is remote. And I mean, if, if it's a remote area to locals, well, it's just it's just that. And you're gonna be there by yourself. So if you so if you meet up with people again to do something like that, how will you assess it and, and what will be your thought process to whether accept them as, as a travel partner or not?
1: I think it's important up front to say what your goals are in your trip. Like what what do you want to what do you want to see, what do you want to do? And also um I think you should have some kind of uh, agreement at the end that you say like, look, um, I want to spend a couple of days traveling with you, but after that, I really want to go on my own. Or you say like, look, I want to, I really like the off-road riding, but I kind of want to have a bit of a fast pace. If that doesn't work for you, then I think it's better not to team up and you kind of have to, you have to be strong enough to say that up front or, or you have to have a good judgment to say that up front because if if that all happens uh, in the wilderness and you already start with quite a bit of uncertainty and doubts on your trip it it could only it can go good but if it gets bad it probably gets way worse than someone that you completely trust
0: mm-hmm. what do you have for yourself for for personal safety or emergency gear
1: um i so also on the on the, the spot the satellite beacon you can have a, a distress Button which says that you're for example in technical emergency and then they're also wrote down that they have two days of food and water so i try to always keep water and food for me for two days especially in in hot climate and then um i've got spare tools on the bike and uh, i've got a full um, protection also like a neck brace and body armor for the bike so i'm, I'm pretty well uh protected, especially because I I travel almost all the time on on my own.
0: What level of rider do you think you're at right now, skill level? Because you started out with no experience. And where do you think you're at now?
1: Oh, that's a tricky question because I I do listen to all the rider skills (laughs) uh, of your podcast. (laughs) I I did learn a lot uh, actually during the trip and listening to podcasts and YouTube videos and stuff. Uh, I definitely gained a lot of skills uh, in comparison with the beginning, especially on, on with a more heavy bike, because I'm not going to lie, my bike is actually too heavy. If I would do it again, I would get a way lighter bike. But um, I, I like uh, smaller tracks and rocky tracks and uh, sandy tracks, but almost guaranteed I will drop the bike a couple of times. So I'm not afraid of... Um, uh, uh, going pretty hard off-road. But um, if it gets too tricky, I, I also drop the bike from time to time. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. I saw you, you, some of the videos you have posted. You rode a road that was paralleling a, a river that was flooded out. You're pushing your limits there. Another one, you were stuck in the mud. You even had to get towed out.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, th- th- there were some moments that I thought, oh, maybe I shouldn't have taken that road or that I uh, that I swear all the luggage I have like I should have gone lighter but then after all it's, it's just part of the trip and like so many people say the best bike is the bike you own mm-hmm. and um, um, it, this is now how I'm traveling and I probably could have, could have done it different um, but then, all, 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 it's always a, a trade-off, and I'm, I'm I'm happy with the setup now. So yeah, I'll, I'll see how far I get with this one. Yeah,
0: but I get the sense that you're having a certain amount of joy going in these these tough spots. That's what you're seeking out.
1: Yeah, it is. It's it's a challenge. Also, um, what I think if you have the perfect bike, and for if you have a really nice um, enduro bike, and you go to all those trails on the trails that I went it's probably really boring but do that with a heavy bike which is half suitable only for like hard enduro riding then it's a proper adventure Mm -hmm. do that with a street bike then even gravel is already an adventure so it it just makes it all a bit more spicy and who doesn't like a bit of hot and spicy food?
0: (laughs) Of course so would you you say you'd go with a lighter bike if you were to do it again is that just for picking it up or, or what do you mean by that?
1: Yeah so um, yeah, picking up a, especially in sand. Um, sometimes I have to remove the luggage, which is a bit of a hassle. Mm. And then um, uh, it just, for example, a KTM 690 or um, a Honda XR 650. They, they're, they're. Um, if they're fully loaded, they're still lighter than my bike without luggage. So yeah, yeah it, it's 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 definitely way more fun. The lighter you go. Um, and yeah, if I remove my luggage, it feels like a toy, the bike. <laughs> and then imagine, imagine that's actually your travel weight. Uh, let's say around 200 kilos, you have six fifty 50 kilos of luggage, uh, 25 liters of fuel. And then your bike itself, which is around 150 kilos or something. That's a really nice setup then. Um, yeah.
0: You've been on the road, as we said, since April, 2019. Um, and now it's, a uh- well, I guess three years down the road here, you're in Australia. I, I, I'm i tempted to say only in Australia because you haven't moved very fast. And of course that's thanks to COVID yeah, keeping you there. But yeah. but, but where, where does it go from here and how long is it going to go for?
1: So, um, yeah, pretty exciting. In December I'll, I'll go to New Zealand and then I'll travel all around New Zealand it, because actually I, I wasn't planning to go around the world. I, um, I used to have a, a girlfriend back home and I was planning to go for nine months and, um, during the trip, I broke up because she, she was um, she was still in Belgium and we decided to break up and shipping the bike from in India back to Belgium was more expensive than shipping it to Australia. So I shipped it to Australia, COVID broke out, but that was fortunate for me. So I just ended up working a bit and saving enough money to now go around the world. So um, after uh, New Zealand, South America, yeah.
0: Oh, I see. Okay. And you <laughs> yeah, have no yeah, commitments so- now. Nothing is drawing you home. Right. So- <laughs> yeah, your yeah, girlfriend's yeah. moved so- on
1: exactly and we both uh, left on really good terms so that was absolutely fantastic yeah oh that's great
0: it sounds like quite adventurous and you don't have anything you're rushing back for and as you said as your as your grandparents told you do this while you're young while you can or at least while while life is allowing you to do it before you um you find that you're do you have commitments where you can't do it
1: yeah that's right for for example my um my sister she has two children and i i just became godfather in december oh great and yeah, and, and you think, oh, it's sad that I I missed them growing up. And, and, and that's right on one side. But then on the other side, it's literally like three years that you may be a miss of their life. And they still will probably get 80 or 90 years old, or hopefully. Mm-hmm. So you will definitely see them for a lot more longer when you're back.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah there will be time for that. Bert, uh, great yeah. talking to you. Thank you very much for sharing your stories. I really appreciate it. And I, and I hope we'll talk again.
1: Yeah, it's my absolute pleasure to be uh, on on the podcast that I've been listening all the time on the trip. That's absolutely amazing. That's very cool. Thanks so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks.
0: I was speaking with Bert Buta, and we've got some great photos and videos in the show notes for this episode showing Bert and some of his adventures well worth dropping by and having a look at. We've also got links to his social media accounts all in the show notes for this episode on our website, AdventureRiderRadio.com. up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer Elizabeth Martin and of course you the listener thank you very much for being a part of this by listening to the show. Hey this is my my time where I got to put out the call we have many 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 people listen to the show every single day, every week, every month it's always there and we keep putting them out every single week. We, did you realize we have not missed a week? We haven't missed a week uh, and I don't know how we've really I managed to do that. We've we managed to just make just make it so we don't get sick and I don't know. I don't know how we've managed to. Anyway, it doesn't matter. My point is, though, it's built on a model of advertising and listener support. We don't want to have this thing chock full of ads. It's designed to have your support. Our website, AdventureRiderRadio.com has a button on it called support. Click on the button. Anything $10 or more gets you a sticker for your pen or your toolbox. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout out on our Raw show. That's our monthly show that we do and uh, we give shout outs there at the start of that show. So, um, have a look at what we've got anyway. And we would love to you to have you consider the patron option uh, patron. That way we can count on you every month and it can be just a small amount. It doesn't have to be a huge amount, just that regular support to keep things going. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike. If you can, uh, my name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening and for considering uh, supporting the show. Oh, by the way, the other thing you could do is share it, um, share it on social media, definitely share it on social media, but share it with your friends. Anyone you think that may be interested help get the word out. Uh, another way to help things out would be a review of nice five star review of course uh, at uh, anywhere you find podcasts particularly iTunes that helps other people find the show and uh, we'd, we'd really appreciate that anyway I would really appreciate, it, appreciate that if you, you could do that anyway like I said get out there and ride your bike if you can uh, and I'll talk to you next week
1: my name is Austin Vince and I'm on Adventure Rider Radio if you listen listening to this you rule me. <laughs>